You're listening to the Section 5 Podcast. Welcome back to the Section 5 Podcast, Mount Rushmore Edition. This is our final episode in the Mount Rushmore series. We're covering the Atlantic Division, so it's kind of the main event as we are a Celtics show. So we're going to get to some Celtics tonight. I know a lot of you have been waiting for that. And we're going to talk about the other teams in a division as well. I'm here with Adam and Trey, the usual group for the Mount Rushmore series. Guys, we made it. Here we are. Been a a heck of a ride. We had a lot of fun doing these, and uh, we're going to have... I think a heck of a time going through some of the more interesting teams in the league and the Nets. It was a long day of recording. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> We're going to get through these. We're going to talk some Celtics. If you missed any of the other older episodes from any of the other divisions that we did, all of, all five of the other ones are out by the time you would be hearing this. You can go ahead and dive into our archives and take a look at those, pick and choose the ones that you want to listen to, the teams you want to hear, all of that. So we're going to jump in and get started on this division. We normally go in alphabetical order, and we're going to do that, but we're going to save the Celtics till the end. We're a Celtics show, so we're going to probably give them a little bit more time, uh, like we did with the Lakers on the other side when we wrapped up the Western Conference. So we're going to get it started with the Brooklyn Nets. This one had, we have one unanimous pick. So this one is kind of a mess. Uh, It's kind of all over the place. We had a lot of people who were picked twice. But the only one that all three of us had was Jason Kidd. So Jason Kidd is synonymous with the Nets, I think, especially as a Celtics fan. We remember those series in the early 2000s when we saw you know, the best and the worst of both Jason Kidd and Boston fans. Kidd was there for seven years, four-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, five-time All-Defensive, averaged 15 points, nine assists, seven rebounds. So he was a great all-around player, one of the best players in Nets history, and had a heck of a run there, getting a team to the finals that was pretty good, but I don't think totally a title contender. I don't think they were on that level, but he was the leader of a team that uh, that got them there to that level where they were just a couple of games away from winning a title. So Jason Kidd seems like he was a nice and easy pick for us. So Adam, what made you go with, uh, with Kidd? And uh, you got him at the top of your list, so it looks like he might have been your number one. Yeah, he he definitely was my number one for that franchise. And as you mentioned, as a Celtic fan, he took my heart out of my chest a couple of times back in the, the late Pierce and Antoine days. He was an unbelievable player for them, Hall of Fame player for them. Triple-double machine. Yeah. Just great defensive player, and his shot just kept getting better every year. I mean, it wasn't as good as it was in Dallas, but – I mean, Jason Kidd was an all-around player for them, and he definitely was a franchise cornerstone. Yeah, he was a face of a franchise. He was uh, everything that they wanted from him and more uh, in his time with the Nets. He was on the cover of NBA Live back when that was a thing. And my lasting memory of Jason Kidd as a Net, I was at the game. It was the first Celtics playoff game I ever went to. It was, I'm bad with numbers of years. It was either 2002 or 2003. It was the year that they got swept, so it was the second time they played the Nets. They played them in back-to-back here, so it wasn't the year of the massive comeback. I was at game four. The game the series ended. It goes to double overtime. 
the Nets are up by six as the clock's running out and the crowd was riding Jason Kidd all series long. So there were some hard feelings there and Kidd takes a buzzer beater three to win the game by nine. Of course he nails it and just walks off the court with his hand up in the air. I was at that game too. Yeah, yeah. I might have been there with you. No. No? Yeah, it might have been with Joe. That's my lasting memory and... He was a heck of a rival for, uh, for some time. And then for the rest of the players from the Nets, we had quite a few different names come up. Adam, who else did you have? Who do you have as maybe your second choice on the Nets? Probably my second choice was, and I didn't see, I've never seen him play, but just looking at the, the sheer numbers he had, Dr. J. Dr. J, when he was with the um, New Jersey Nets back when they were in the ABA, he only played three seasons there, but was three-time All-Star, three-time All-ABA, two-time ABA champ. Three On all three years, he was the ABA MVP, averaged 28-11 right out of college. He was one of the reasons why the ABA was about to fold because when, when his contract was up, the NBA was going to pay him you know, a lot more money than the ABA could afford. Mm-hmm. So he was one of the main reasons why the leagues merged because the ABA wanted – to keep him somehow, but they knew they couldn't. But Dr. J was a tremendous player for the for the Nets when he was with the, in the ABA, and he brought while there were ABA championships, there were still two championships to the um, to the Nets franchise. Yeah, you can only win championships in the leagues you play in, so I'm not going to hold that against him. I actually left Dr. J off because of the three seasons part. So there's just so many guys who have played a lot more time there, and when I think Dr. J, like. He's a sixer through and through to me, at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I've had some guys who aren't as good as Dr. J, but I just think of them more as nets and do- while Dr. J is, I think, a sixer. Yeah. Trey, you had Dr. J as well. You also had uh, a couple of other guys uh, who are more modern. Who else did you have? So I also had Brooke Lopez. But before I talk about that, just a little about Jay Kidd. Like you were saying, he um, was leading in assists, steals, and three-point field goals. He's fifth in points in the organization. I think Adam touched on how he won the MVP. Yep. Each year that he played. So those three seasons, those are two of the reasons why I picked those two. Yeah. And then Brooke Lopez... I mean, when I think of the Nets, the New Jersey Nets, and the Brooklyn Nets, I think of Brook Lopez. Right, because he made an impact with both in both locations. Yeah. He's third in rebounds. He's actually the franchise leader in points, which is surprising to me. And he has four more points than the guy who's in second, who we're going to mention in just a minute. But Brook Lopez has some really sneaky good numbers whether it's compiled or whether it's uh, just his averages. He averaged 18.6 and 7.1 and 1.7 blocks. So he was a really good player for a long time for them. He played for them for nine years. It doesn't feel like he was there for almost a decade, but you know he was, and he's all over just about everything on their leaderboard. So he's a guy who's at, going down in Nets history. I was looking at uh, rebounds in the playoffs. Ah, Lopez doesn't even top top that um that list of ten players. 
Right. He was on some bad teams too. So a lot of that's going to be, you know, games played as a factor as well. And then uh, there was one other player who appeared on two lists. Um, that was Buck Williams. So Buck Williams played eight seasons and was a three-time All-Star. He was a four-time All-Defensive, one-time All-NBA. He averaged 16 and 12, and he averaged a double-double in seven straight seasons. So Buck Williams is a name that is, I think, kind of forgotten uh, a little bit. He's not as big a name as like Dr. J or Jason Kidd, not as modern as Brooke Lopez or you know, any of the other names that you think of, you know, Richard Jefferson, who spoiler alert, isn't on any of our lists, but he's a guy who played a lot of seasons for the Nets and is at the top of a lot of their leaderboards. So he had a great career there. Adam, you also had Buck Williams. What made you decide to, to put him on over a couple of other people who could have been worthy of that spot? Honestly, numbers, yeah. <laughs> like sheer numbers. Like I remember Buck Williams when I first started watching basketball, he was already on those Portland teams. So I didn't really remember too much of him as a net, but uh, like just looking back at the numbers, like like you repeated, I mean, averaging a double double in seven straight seasons, that's pretty impressive, right? Um, so you know, they're they're kind of like a couple of other teams we've done, where there's just a lot of like good players that have played for the franchise, but you don't really consider them to be great in their tenure there. But he just had, you know, in addition to those four-time all-defensive, I mean, rookie of the year with the Nets. He was just a solid player and, you know, better than the average guy that they've had. And my last pick for them was another guy that killed the Celtics. I just feel like all his good games were against the Celtics. Um, it was Kerry Kittles um, out of Villanova. He was just, he's only seven years there. He made it all, he only made the all-rookie team. No all-stars. 14 a game, 38% from three, but man, that guy seemed to just play like freaking Charlotte Jer- Glenn Rice against the Celtics. Um, right. He was Chris Middleton before Chris Middleton. Oh, yeah. That's a better example there. But I couldn't leave him off my list because I've seen the guy play. I've seen he was a, a killer on the court. So I couldn't leave Kittles off my Nets list. He was one who I wanted to put on but I ended up not being able to. He is my all-time favorite college player. I remember watching him at Villanova, and he was a great – I don't know if I go as far as to say great pro, but he was very good when he first came into the league, averaged 16 and then 17 his first two years. And then his numbers came down a little bit, uh, but he had an injury right in the middle of his career, and that really derailed him from there. So if he had stayed healthy, he – could have potentially had an even better career than he did. But overall, he had a, a pretty good run with the Nets. He was there for seven years, so it doesn't seem like he was there that long because you have that like line of demarcation where he was a really good player when before the injury, and then you have him after the injury where he was still putting up decent numbers, but he wasn't quite as good. Right. Uh, and he's kind of hung on a little bit. Uh, and then played a year with the Clippers, which none of us probably remember. And... We all have lone wolves for our remaining picks. Mine was Derek Coleman. This is kind of a biased pick because he was one of my favorite players when I was a kid. He was the first jersey, first non-Celtics jersey that I ever owned. He played five years for them. He was a one-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA. He was on Dream Team 2 during his time with the Nets. He averaged 19.9 points, 10.6 rebounds, 
he's fourth on the team in rebounds. He's fifth in blocks. He's ninth in points. So like he's on the leaderboards, but he's not really a major impact player. But he did all of that in just five seasons. And he was one of the best young power forwards in the league at the time. And he's kind of a what-if story. He could have been one of the all-time greats, but he just did enough to get by, make sure he gets his next paycheck, make sure he stays in the league instead of really working on his craft, keeping that discipline, staying in shape, staying healthy. Had some issues with injuries, but he has maybe the best story and that's history. So when Butch Beard became their head coach after Chuck Daly had left, he wanted to implement a dress code. So Coleman showed up wearing a tracksuit and uh, Beard said he was going to find him $1,000 for a dress code violation. Coleman hands him a blank check and says, fill out whatever you need for the rest of our road trips. I'm wearing whatever I want. So I think that's fantastic. It shows his lack of discipline. It also shows kind of how, how terrible and how doomed that team was with a coach who ended up being 60 and 104 with a talented team because he needs to have people in suits going on an airplane to go to a basketball game, which is absolutely insane. Please, coaches, stop doing that. This is not a place of business. It's a basketball game. Keep your team comfortable, keep them loose, and they'll play for you and they'll be successful. Coaching 101. There's a hot take on a Mount Rushmore podcast. Bet you didn't see that coming. Trey, you had the last lone wolf. Who was your guy? I had Vince Carter. Now, I know Vince played like seven seasons in Toronto. He played five seasons with the Nets. He averaged 23.6 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, 4.7 assists, and over a steal game. He's a three-time All-Star. I have him as my lone wolf. Yeah, and I think we got peak Carter with the Raptors. And as you mentioned, he played there seven years. That was where he played the most of his career. But the Nets were the second most. He played five years there. He didn't play more than three anywhere else. And his numbers were pretty identical between his time in Toronto and his time in New Jersey. Third all time in points. Yeah. And he did that in five years. Yeah. He, uh, he was a, a very good player for them and really played out the end of his prime there. And that was 10 years ago, and here he is just retiring now. So that's kind of crazy to think of. But he's a Raptor first, but I think he's firmly in net second, and he's played on a ton of other teams since then. So I think that Vince is, uh, is an interesting choice, and I think it's a, it's a good choice considering the franchise history that they have. So because we were all over the place, we talked probably a little more Nets than we were expecting. But anything else on the Nets before we move on? I just want to mention that Vince averaged more points per game with the Nets than he did with the Raptors. Yeah, by point two. It's, it's yeah, still. yeah, like a tick higher. He averaged a little more rebounds, so like he was right around the same player. So yeah, he I was, don't like the Nets. I think he was a better player. <laughs> Talk about the old Nets. That's fine, but when they had nice uniforms, when they wore the blue unis, and not those navy blue monstrosities and definitely not the worst unis in the nba that they're wearing right now those black and white things again i've said this on old podcasts call me when they're finished and moving from one new york team to another we are now going on to the new york knicks and this one was a little bit cleaner than the nets we had two that we chose unanimously patrick ewing and walt frazier 
And then there is a little bit of a mixing of names between a couple of different generations and one that is going to be at least a fun conversation uh, when we get to the end there. But Patrick Ewing, uh, I think, was a no-brainer. 15 seasons, 11-time All-Star, 7-time All-NBA, Hall of Famer, won Rookie of the Year uh, when he came into the league. He was the first pick, the first player in NBA history to be drafted using a pick that was given to them in a frozen envelope. Prove me wrong. And Ewing was one of the defining big men of his era and the era that really Adam and I grew up watching. So Patrick Ewing, when you say Knicks to people in our age group, that's the guy. Like, it's Patrick Ewing, like, no doubt. Adam, any memories on Patrick Ewing or anything uh, on him that put him at the top of your list? Um, I mean, just I think you covered a lot of it. He's a perennial all-star, seven-time All-NBA, more than half his season since All-NBA. Like you said, when we were growing up, Patrick Ewing was the number one option on the Knicks every right. time. He was sweating before he got to the gym. Yep. So, it's, you know, unfortunately his career, well, I mean, I'm not a Knicks fan, so I was probably rooting against him all the time. But, you know, his career had a couple of misses where could have defined a lot of things for that franchise, especially the one against the Pacers. You know, he had a lot of – came up short a bunch of times against Jordan. The last time that the Knicks made the finals in his career there, he was hurt. So yep. actually led by one of the guys you have on your list. Yep. But, I mean, Patrick Ewing was a you know, Hall of Fame player for the Knicks, no doubt about it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And as Celtics fans, like, we don't root for the Knicks much, but I remember rooting for them in the finals in 94 when they were playing the Rockets. I think part of that is because Patrick Ewing was my father's favorite non-Celtics player. So uh, we were both rooting hard for, uh, for Ewing to win that one, and you know, it didn't happen, and that ended up being his best shot. And then for the other unanimous pick, we had Walt Frazier. Trey, what uh, made you go with Frazier? He played 10 seasons for the Knicks, seven-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA, two-time champ, seven-time All-Team defense. He averaged 19 points a game, six, six assists, six rebounds, two steals. Yeah, just an, a great all-around player, uh, maybe the greatest all-around player that they've had. And he's a two-time champ with the Knicks. So he won two with the Knicks, which as we know, seeing their history afterwards or before that, it's no small task winning a couple with the New York Knicks uh, as success has kind of eluded them in most of our lifetime. Exactly. So if you do that, you get on the Mount Rushmore. Right. And you and I agreed on our third pick. We both have Willis Reed. He also was a two-time champ. 10 seasons, seven-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, another two-time champ, uh, one-time All-Defensive. He was a 1970 MVP. He was a two-time Finals MVP, and he had the defining moment. In the 1970 Finals, uh, Game 7, he missed Game 6 with an injury, and everybody was expecting him to miss Game 7. He comes out to the surprise of the crowd, plays in that game, hits his first two shots, and that's about it, and scores the probably most hyped four points in NBA history, but it's still that defining moment. Like people don't remember that he only had four points in that game. People remember that Willis Reed came out and he played in the finals and they won the championship and he won finals MVP. So take whatever piece of that history you want. He's certainly deserving of Knicks history and NBA history. And I think he was a guy that we just had to have on here. Adam, you went a little more modern with your guys. You have uh, give me your third one first. 
So um, I had Carmelo Anthony there. He's probably, I think by far, he's the best Knicks since Patrick Ewing. Seven years there, seven-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA. He won a scoring championship there, 25-7 and seven during his time there. I mean, Melo brought excitement to that franchise that they didn't have since those Ewing days. And once his trade came from Denver, Melo was the guy there. He was their number one option. And you thought that you might have seen, like, him and LeBron have a little – have more matchups in the playoffs against each other. They played the same position. They were both kind of, you know, leaders of their franchise. Melo's not from New York, he's from Baltimore, but, you know, you, you sense that he was, he was almost like a perfect Nick. He seemed like he was, you know, indebted to that city. And I, I couldn't leave him off this list because I've, I've seen what he did as a Nick. So, scoring machine. Yeah, he was a good Nick. I left him off, but he was the best Nick since Ewing, I, I think is fair to say. I went with another one who was fairly recent. I went with Allen Houston. Allen Houston was there for nine years. Carmelo was a better player, but Houston, I mean, a big part of it is that team that got to the finals as an eight seed. He hit that buzzer beater against the Heat, and it made them the second eight seed in NBA history to be a number one seed. So he's got that defining moment, and it is, I think, the biggest moment for the Knicks really from maybe our lifetime. What's, uh, what is it? It's either that shot or it's the John Starks dunk, right? It's one of those two. That's the next moment that just jumps out that everybody remembers. And he was there for quite a long time. He was there for nine years and he is fourth in Knicks history in scoring. He averaged 18.5 points per game. So he was a really good player for them for a really long time. And uh, I just think that he was, he's worthy of having his spot here. Even though Carmelo, I agree, is a better player, I think Allen Houston's a better Nick, and I think that he deserves that spot. And Trey, you had another guy who I know I remember, Adam remembers, from the 90s. Uh, who was your fourth guy? So I took Charles Oakley, the Knicks enforcer. He didn't do as much as Mello for the Knicks, but he did do a little more in playoffs. He had a, a thousand, over a 1,000 points in the playoffs. Uh, Melo's not on this list. He didn't kind of – I guess he didn't stay long enough, but he he got traded, so I guess that's not really a knock against him. Yeah, and, and they just didn't have as much team success as the Oakley Knicks did. Like He was on some – Maybe not great teams, but he was on a bunch of pretty good teams. They were in the playoffs more often than not. And the you can't say that about the Mellow Knicks. Like Oakley and and Ewing and you know Starks and then other guys that kind of came and went there. They were a perennial playoff team. They were they were really good for for a long time, even though they didn't win a championship and only got to one final. I think I'm a little biased on this one. Just I'm I'm choosing to ignore like any Knicks of the last five, ten years. No, that's that's fine. Uh, and uh, but with Oakley, he's I mean he's deserving too. Right? He's their all-time leader in offensive rebounds. He's third in total rebounds. So he's one of the best rebounders that the Knicks have ever had. So he played his role. He played it well. He was the enforcer. He was a tough guy on some teams that were were tough, and they were in some you know, some real fights to you know, move on in the, in their playoff runs. So Charles Oakley definitely goes down in Knicks history. Adam, I saved you for, uh, for the end intentionally because this is going to be fun. You have another guy who goes down in Nick's history as your fourth. And yeah, it speaks so to Nick's history in their recent years. 
And by recent years, I mean, I don't know, 30 maybe. Who'd you have? Yeah, so before I start, I just want to say no disrespect to the Willis Reed camp. You know, he's obviously a Knicks legend. But, you know, the one knock against Willis that is no fault of his own is that I've, I've never seen him play. Like, the only highlights I've seen of him is limping up the court after hitting those two shots that, that Mark mentioned. So the guy I went with was Jeremy Lin. One season with the Knicks. He only played 35 games, 25 starts, 15.6 assists, two steals a game during those 35 games. But, man, like, that run that he had was unbelievable. Like, I don't want to just understate it. Like, he had that Knicks crowd rocking every single night during that during his run. The city and- was talking about him. It was Lynn Sanity. And he was on the front page of all the newspapers. All the uh, sports talk shows in New York were talking about him. And it was like something out of a 90s basketball movie where some dude just shows up and you see everybody in the streets of New York just talking about this dude and how he's going to change the world and how he changed the basketball world for them for that season. So it was like something out of a, a fictional story. And it was real life. Yeah, I mean, and it was like... Looking at the, his game log from that stretch was just, you know, you have 25, 28, 23. Who could forget that the matchup against the Lakers where he dropped 38, went toe-to-toe against Kobe, and came out, they beat the Lakers on ESPN. Followed, like, he just had an unbelievable season. And the crazy part about it was that during that season, Carmelo was hurt when that stretch began. Huh. And when he, was coming, when he was coming back and, or about to come back, there were media reports out of New York that Melo was jealous of, you know, what Lynn, the, the, the type of, you know, control in the offense that D'Antoni gave Lynn as opposed to what, you know, he gave Melo. So there was kind of a rumor that Melo drove Lynn and D'Antoni out of town because of the, uh, the freedom he gave Jeremy Lynn to just, you know, basically in a comparison kind of go like mini IT on him. Just right. take the ball, pick and roll, you either pop up for three, you're getting free throws. You know, it was just an unbelievable time for, I bet, for a Nick fan back then. And I just, I couldn't leave him off my list, even yeah. though I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people are going to like that pick considering the quote-unquote story franchise of the Knicks. But he's part I, of the story. He's still yeah. part of the story. We went to a game at Madison Square Garden this year. It was when the Celtics came when they played early in the season. It was actually the next home opener. We saw Jeremy Ling jerseys in the crowd. We saw them outside the garden. He's a part of that history. His number's not going to go up in the rafters. He's not going to go into the Hall of Fame as a Nick or anything like that. But when you ask someone who's 20 years old, 25 years old, about their Nick's memories of the last 20 years, Jeremy Lin's at the top of their list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Uh, Adam was saying basically like what you talking about Willis Reed <laughs> right like all right get out of here Jeremy yeah. yeah Jeremy Lynn did have the Knicks going good for a minute it was it was short lived actually but the time that he did play there it, he had shit rocking so they were, they went on a seven game win streak yeah and in the last decade when have the Knicks been talked about more yeah. In the last decade, they haven't been. When you talk about the Knicks now, it's either they didn't get Kevin Durant or remember that couple of months Jeremy Lin had. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. And from one rival to another, 
the Philadelphia 76ers. This one is actually a lot neater than any of the other ones that we've done, I believe. We had two unanimous choices, Julius Irving and Allen Iverson. So those ones I think are absolute no-brainers. We already talked a little bit about Dr. J, but he played most of his career as a 76er. 11 years, 11-time All-Star, 7-time All-NBA. He won an MVP. He won a championship. He averaged 22 a game. And he was one of the stars of the league. He was a face of the league. We, see all, we still see highlight reel dunks from him 30 years later, 40 years later, because it's 2020 now. So we see just highlights from, uh, from him doing stuff that players do now, not, not stuff that players did back then. So he was really a transcendent superstar in the, the NBA coming from the ABA at a time when the league was really growing and coming into its own. And then we had Allen Iverson. Trey, I know that's your guy. So uh, you want to take the ball with, uh, with Iverson? Yeah. I mean, AI, second all-time for the franchise in points. He averaged 22 – no, excuse me, 27.6 points. He's third in assists, 6.1. Uh, steals, he's second in steals, 2.3 steals a game. Um, and then just growing up, watching him, he was just crazy. Like kids now, they watch Steph Curry play, and they they love Steph Curry. But that was Allen Iverson for people my age. Right. Yeah, he was that phenomenon. He had the sneaker. He had people wearing Reebok. Where you know, hoop heads didn't really wear Reebok all that much you know, into the nineties. It was it was Nike, and. He had people wearing the questions, and they still wear them now. I still have a couple of pairs of questions. He had the braids. He had just that image. He had that swagger. He was, even when he wasn't playing well, people still gravitated to him. Like He held on into the league where he was more of a role player, and people still loved him. People still paid to see him. They still watched him on TV. Allen Iverson was the 76ers, and they had Jerry Stackhouse, who they had drafted the year before, and you could tell right from the start that those two guys weren't going to mix. They were two ball dominant volume scorers. So you had to get rid of one of them. And they, I think it might've even been halfway through Iverson's rookie year. They made a decision like Iverson's our guy and we're going to ride with him and we're going to you know, get stack outside of here, get something back for him, for him. So Iverson is the Sixers for people in our, your generation and our generation. Cause you know, you're a little younger than, than Adam and I, so we kind of span across two different stretches. But he's the Sixers to us, and he's the Sixers to you, and that's saying a lot. Adam, we both had a guy who is more kind of our era of childhood. We both had Charles Barkley. What made you pick uh, Sir Charles? Yeah, so I like I associate Barkley with – we all, like a lot of people associated him because he had a lot more success at it in his time with the Suns. But Sir Charles is the 76 to me, like, that's the first jersey I picture him in when you mentioned Barkley. Eight seasons there, six-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA. Led the league in two-point percentage, five straight years with them, 23 and 12. He was just a monster for Philly. I almost want to compare stat-wise. He was like, the games were totally different, but what he gave you in production was similar to what Kevin Love did when he was with the Timberwolves. Just always in the paint. All, and he was just explosive, dunking on people, like, Sir Charles was is a 76 to me through and through. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I want to disagree a little bit because 
even though he played a lot more for the Sixers, he played twice as many games or twice as many years for the Sixers as he did for the Suns. I still think of Barkley as a son first and foremost, but he had, you know, the most accolades. Uh, if you're just talking volume with the Sixers, you know, six time all NBA, six time all-star. So he's, he's really a little bit of, uh, of both. And I think people who had seen him play for both teams throughout his entire career saw every you know, saw him from when he got to the Sixers until when he finished his career are, are going to probably associate him with the Sixers as well. And Trey, you didn't have Barkley. Uh, you went with uh, actually someone else who is uh, a little bit older, played a, in a past generation. Uh, who else did you have for the Sixers? So I also had Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, Julius Irving, Wilt Chamberlain, and my fourth guy, they all won MVP awards with the Sixers and they won rings. So I feel like that puts them on the Mount Rushmore. Okay. Yeah. And Will, Ch- Will Chamberlain, he had some huge numbers throughout his career. I mean, most of them came with the Warriors. A couple of those years were in Philly, but he was still close to his peak when he was with the Sixers. So like he was an all-star every year. He was there. Of course, it's Wilt. I mean, he only missed the all-star game once. Uh, but he's got some astronomical rebounding numbers, especially. Uh, led the league in rebounding and points his first uh, or his second year with the Sixers. So he's someone I left off, but it's just because he was only there for four years. And the Sixers go back to the very beginning of the league. So there's a lot of great players to choose from. And uh, I thought Wilt just didn't have the volume for me to – uh, to go with him. Who I did go with for my last pick was Dolph Shays. And he's throwing it back to the very origins of the league. He played 15 seasons with the now 76ers franchise, 14 of those with, were with the Syracuse Nationals, which is in the Sixers lineage. He was a 12 time All Star, 12 time All NBA. He was uh, part of the 1955 championship team. He averaged 18.5 points, 12.1 rebounds, and he's still third in franchise scoring. He has over 18,000 points, and he's still their all-time leading rebounder. Blocks and steals weren't tracked for his career, so who knows what he had there. But he's also fifth in assists, so he's really all over the leaderboard still, uh, even though he retired back in the 60s. He is first in the franchise in win shares at 142.4. Julius Irving is second at 106.2. So that's just an enormous gap for him. And uh, he also had a son play in the league. Danny Shays played for uh, close to 20 years uh, on a few teams. Uh, He was more of a journeyman. He was one of the all-time best players. He was one of the top 50 players when the NBA named their top 50 at their 50th anniversary back in the 90s. So I guess I saw his numbers and his, his ranks still, even though he hadn't played in since the early days of the league. And it it kind of blew me away a little bit to see how high he still is on those leaderboards. But we have two people left. Adam, you had someone who was a little more modern. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Who do you have for your last guy? I put Andre Iguodala as my fourth 76er. And again, I'm I'm probably, you know, doing a disservice to Dolph Shays because of, you know, all the the numbers you mentioned and Trey's guy who was a, a beast for them. But Again, I went with the guy that I've, I've seen play through his whole career. And Iguodala was just, I kind of say similar to a Danny Granger in that he was just an underrated player throughout the league. But 
guys knew when they played Philly that Iguodala was their top dog during this time right. there. And he he kind of came up after Iverson left. Um, he played a couple of years with Iverson, but once Iverson got traded to Denver, that was Iguodala's team. Eight seasons, only one all-star game one time, two-time all-defensive, all-around numbers, 15, six, six rebounds, five assists, two steals. She got a max contract after yeah. that, after he left there. So he his, his value spoke volumes in the league. And he, he made my sixth of Mount Rushmore just because of such a – He's such a quality player on both ends of the court, and you know Philly didn't ha- didn't have too many of those guys after Iverson, Barkley, and Irving. Right, he was a stat sheet filler. He was, I think, the Granger comparison is a great one because peak Danny Granger. Well, peak Danny Granger was a better scorer, but they had aside from their point totals, pretty similar across the board. He just did a little bit of everything or a lot of everything. Iguodala was only a two-time All Defensive player. He probably should have been all defensive more when he was there because he was one of the better defensive players in the league for you know, most of his career. And he's, he's really known for it now, especially with some of the things he, he's done in the finals uh, with Golden State, which obviously doesn't count here. But he, is, he was a little bit of a different player in Philly in the sense of he was more of the go-to guy where he's been a role player in the recent maybe five years, six years. Uh, he's just been a guy who you bring off your banks, you use when you need them. He's going to obviously make a, a contending team better, uh, but he was the guy with the Sixers and was there for eight seasons. It's a long time to be there, and he was productive for, for all of those years. And then, Trey, we've, uh, we mentioned that you have a guy who's really, who was great for them. Adam called him a beast. You both made allusions to him, but we didn't drop the name yet. What's the name? Moses Malone. Uh, he averaged 21 Points, 12 rebounds, 1.3 blocks a game. Yeah, he won MVP, won a championship. Yep, he was part of that uh, that 83 championship team. 83 was a great year, right, Adam? Sure was. And this is his actually second appearance, or second pick anyway. Uh, we had him on the Houston Mount Rushmore way back in the, the first episode. Moses is a unique player in the sense that he is one of the absolute all-time great players, and he played for a lot of teams in the league. He didn't play more than six seasons with anybody. He played six with Houston and five with Philly, and he played for the Hawks, the Bullets. You know, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but you know, Milwaukee, he, he played in a lot of different places, which is interesting to see for someone who was as great as he was uh, to see him bounce around that much, although part of that is because he played until he was 39 years old. So you're going to bounce around a little bit from team to team when you're at that age. But he played for a good long time, and he had some of his best years in, uh, in Philly. It's, you know, it's between Philly and Houston uh, where he played his best, which no surprises right in his prime age. But a lot of different names went out for the Sixers. Anyone else you thought of who we maybe left off, maybe didn't talk about? I just want to mention that he did. Moses Malone did have one of the best pre-playoffs quotes in NBA history. When they asked him how he thought the playoffs would go, he said, "Full, full, full," and <laughs> they they went full five full. But they, that was a dominant team, and he was the him and Dr. J led that team. Yeah, yeah, that that was a great team. They won they won the championship, and as you said, they they only lost one game. So. All right, and to borrow a wrestling term, this is the cool down before the main event. So we're going to throw out the jobbers, the Toronto Raptors, even though they are the defending champions technically. And we're going to talk a little bit about the one of the youngest franchises and definitely the youngest franchise in this division. So 
we had three who we chose unanimously. And then for the fourth one, two of us agreed. And then there was one person who went rogue. Who wants to guess who? You know who it was. So we had Vince Carter, Chris Bosch, and Kyle Lowry. So we already talked a little bit about Vince with the New Jersey Nets. Uh, but Vince makes it twice in an episode. So he's in the illustrious club with uh, Glenn Rice from the last episode. Played seven years in Toronto. And really, what, when you think of Vince Carter, you still picture that Toronto uniform. Uh, whether it's the one with the dinosaur or the one that they wore a little bit after that, that he wore in the dunk contest, your choice. But seven years, six-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, Rookie of the Year, slam dunk champ, 23 points per game, got Toronto to the playoffs for the first time. He was the first franchise player for them, I think, uh, unless you want to go Damon Stoudemire, but he was more of a guy who was kind of good on a bad team. Vince really let that team take that next step when he was there for that seven years. And he became one of the most popular players in the league and a player who is still pretty much universally loved throughout NBA circles and largely because of what he did with Toronto. Adam, I know you remember that dunk contest. Just tell me a little bit about your thoughts. Put me in the room with you when you were watching that dunk contest as a you know, 16 year old or however old we were. You know, it just kind of, you know, just you mentioning that game kind of gave me goosebumps because it was just something that, you know, we've never seen before. We've never seen such a dominant dunker just do crazy dunks on his first try that just made it like he just became a household name overnight. Right. And I could only, and he made he he would have made Twitter explode. Oh if, yeah, if um if that dunk contest happened today. And the one other thing I kind of want to mention about Vince that you know he kind of got a bad rap for it for it at the time, and I, I admired him for doing that. It was the, was before Game Seven, I believe it was the Eastern Conference Semifinals when they were going to play Philly. You know he graduated from college. He had his college graduation that morning. And, you know, ended up playing game seven later on that day. Unfortunately, he missed the game-winning shot. Ended up, Philly ended up going to the Eastern Conference Finals that year. But, I mean, I just thought that was a great moment. And his time, I think, in Toronto would have ended better if it wasn't for that moment. Because he got a lot of criticism for that from the media there. And I think that kind of started his departure for, from there and when he ended up getting traded to the Nets. Yeah, it, it was you know, it, it was a defining moment for him, and it, it did seemingly leave that sour taste and, and make him get to that point where he's like, all right, let's go see what the rest of the league has to offer. Let's go see what I can do elsewhere. Another guy who left Toronto and went elsewhere, Chris Bosh. Seven seasons, five-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA. When you're thinking about the early 2000s Raptors after Vince is gone, like it's got to be the Bostrich. Yep, <laughs> the Bostridge. I like. That. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know he averaged twenty a game. He averaged nine rebounds a game. Not always great teams, but still, you know, a, a great player who was able to cash in on that immediately uh, upon leaving. And I don't know if he even got the max because they all kind of colluded to subvert that stuff. But he was a max player when he left there, and you know, really made an impact on Toronto. And. I guess kind of teed it up for, for the next guy. So then it was Kyle Lowry. Trey, what do you got on Kyle Lowry? All right. So Kyle Lowry, he's third all time in the franchise in points. He leads the franchise in assists all time, averaging 7.1. Uh, he leads Toronto in steals as well. I mean, he's pretty much their franchise 
right now still. Um, right. Yeah, and if it wasn't for Vince being this transcendent superstar, Kyle Lowry would be like the undisputed face of the Toronto Raptors because he was he was there when they were you know, decent. He was there when they won the championship, and now he's there when they're trying to as they're trying to win a championship again with you know their big gun from that championship team being gone and, and playing elsewhere. It's and, crazy. I remember Kyle Lowry on the Rockets. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, Kyle Lowry. It's, uh, it's weird to think that he was somewhere else. I just can't picture him playing anywhere else, and I hope he doesn't. I want to see him retire as, as a Raptor. It just, it just seems right for him to be there. And then for the fourth guy, I had DeMar DeRozan. Trey, you also agreed with this one. He was there for nine years. He was a four-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA. He is their all-time franchise leader in points. He averaged 19.7 points per game. He's also third in assists and third in rebounds. Part of that is just because they're a young franchise, so they don't have a ton of players. Also, uh, an underrated part of DeMar DeRozan, he was traded for Kawhi Leonard. So he helped bring them a championship, I think we can say. But DeMar DeRozan was there for almost a decade, and he was arguably their best player alongside Kyle Lowry. So... Uh, I thought DeMar DeRozan really deserved to be on the list. And uh, Adam, you disagreed. Who did you have for your fourth? I just don't think that you could have Toronto Raptors, Mount Rushmore, without having the MVP of the finals on that list. I picked Kawhi Leonard. The guy he was traded, that DeMar DeRozan was traded for, one season there, obviously an all-star, obviously an all-NBA champion, finals MVP. He made a hated Celtics rival, Joel Embiid cry after hitting the game-winning shot in space. He was on load management for, for that year, still averaged 27-7 and seven in his healthy days. And I think that, like I said, you can't – he was the reason they won that championship. You put DeMar yeah. DeRozan on that team last year. Nope, then I'm they're not winning a damn thing, and I'm getting a free steak dinner. Yeah. Exactly. So you can't have this list without Kawhi Leonard on that, even though he only played one year there. His year there just – it vaults them up that list. For a young franchise and a team that hasn't really had much success until he got there, well, they had a little bit of success, which we talked about already, but I can't have as much of a gripe with it. If you had thrown in someone who only played a year for, say, the Knicks, oh, wait, you did, but I love that one. Um, if you had thrown someone who said who, who had one season for a team that had a, a little bit more history, even if he did win a championship and do all the things that Kawhi did, like it'd be tougher, but who are you knocking off really? Like DeMar DeRozan or Damon Stoudemire or Marcus Camby? Like, all right, fine. So I'm not going to gripe, even though it's like, it's one season and one season on a Mount Rushmore is tough. It's really, it's really tough. I mean, but. In order to get it, you got to get championship finals MVP. I mean, the bar is set. Yeah. Unless your name is Jeremy Lin when you got six. They don't have that rich of a history. You know? No, they don't. So what he did was actually... It was monumental for that franchise. It was, and it's a worthy spot, I think. I can't go against it. I mean, it's kind I, of I like can't go Barclay. against it. Like, yeah, Barclay we didn't versus Moses. Yeah, we didn't pick it, but it's hard to really disagree with it when the height of their success was was brought by him. And here we are, twenty nine teams down, one to go. We're here at the main event as a Celtics show. It's time to give the Boston Celtics Mount Rushmore. So this one's going to be fun. We're going to dive right into it. We had a lot of agreement on this one. 
So it's not going to be really hotly contested, at least at the beginning. But we had three unanimous picks. We all had Bill Russell. We all had Larry Bird. We all had Paul Pierce. It starts to differ a little bit at the bottom. So I think if you're going to start talking Celtics and Celtics greats, you have to start with Bill Russell. The most decorated winner in team sports, or at least in North American team sports, 13 seasons, 12-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA, 11-time champ, 5-time MVP, 4-time rebounding champ. Like, holy hell, those numbers are insane. Adam, Bill Russell, nice and easy. That's an old guy that even you got to pick, right? Yeah, I mean, he's the greatest winner of all time. I don't even, I mean, I guess you could say North American sports. I don't know who won more than 11 championships in other sports, but. Soccer has some weird shit, so who knows? Yeah, Bill Russell is just, he was not just a stat stuffer, but just the leader of the team, won a championship as a player coach as well. Right. He's, he's an all-time great, like, however you want to spell it. He had the finals MVP named after him. I'm sure he would have won it a bunch of times during those 11 championships. Right. Um, just finishing with career numbers of 15 points a game is pretty, you know, average. But then you look at the 23 rebounds a game, and who knows how much blocks he would have had if they, you know, since they didn't count it back then. Right. And to win a five-time MVP and a and Will Chamberlain was also in the league, that's that's pretty amazing. Too. Right. That's incredible. And his 15 points a game is. It sounds a little low for someone who was as great as he was, but like he was an all-around player. He wasn't the best offensive player, obviously, but like he could hold his own in the offensive end. He he wasn't a you know, a ball stopper. He wasn't a, a disaster. Like he wasn't like a like an old school Ben Wallace, right? He was incredibly athletic, and one of the biggest knocks on the old eras from the newer fans is how unathletic these guys are. They're a bunch of plumbers, yada yada. Bill Russell was an Olympic level high jumper and you can see clips of him just going down the court and just like essentially jumping over people. Bill Russell's athleticism would translate to today's game. He'd have to change up his offense a little bit because the game is so different. He'd have to be a little more selfish. Potentially. Yeah. And, and he'd have to just like polish up his shot a little bit, but with you know, modern training and modern coaching, like, it would be no problem for someone who was as gifted as he was and who dominated the game among other great athletes, other guys who were as big as him or bigger. Like Will Chamberlain was bigger than him. And Bill Russell was better when they played head to head. And then for the next one, we got Larry Bird. He's one who Adam and I both remember a little bit. He retired when we were about nine or so. So the live memories of Bird are kind of there. My memories of Bird honestly more so or him laying down on the court because his back was all messed up at the end of his career. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, if you're a Celtics fan, you know all about Larry Bird. You've watched the tape. You've heard the stories. If there's a Mount Rushmore of shit talking, Larry Bird is on it. Larry Bird's on it three times and Gary Payton's on there for the fourth one. Bird played 13 seasons like Russell. He was also a 12-time All-Star, 10-time All-NBA, three-time MVP, three-time champion, He won the Rookie of the Year, averaged 24 for his career, 10 rebounds per game. Larry Bird gave you a double-double every night for 13 years. So, Adam, Larry Bird. My impressions of Larry kind of were like yours. Like, that's how I learned how how people used to, you know, make their back better. is by laying on the floor instead of laying on a couch or something or sitting down. My impressions of Bird were, I just remember coming home from church one day when I was about seven, eight, nine around then. 
and Celtics had an afternoon game against Portland. And when I came to, when I started watching the game, I remember they were showing highlights of the first half. And during that first half, Bird, I think, went for a loose ball and his face just slammed into the ground. I think they said he came close to breaking or fracturing his cheekbone or something. And then he just willed the team to victory. And I think it was a double overtime game. And just, you know, you've seen the never quit in Larry. Even when his body was betraying him, you know, he couldn't move as, as well as he could. You know, he, his basketball instinct was still there. His shot was still there. Playmaking was still there. I mean, he, he lived up to his Larry Legend name in his time here. And I'm, I'm glad that he was able to finish his whole career in Boston, even though Red Arback could have made, you know, some moves later on in their career, similar to what Danny Ainge did with a couple of other guys we have here. Right, but it, it was satisfying to see Larry Bird finish his career as a Celtic. It's a it's a nice story to see to see him and with the Celtics. Absolutely, but it could have been like the Bobby Orr trade. Mm-hmm. When the the Bruins knew he was clearly done. They sent him off to Chicago, and you can see some pictures of Bobby Orr in a Blackhawks jersey that just hurts. I think he played like fourteen games for them and never did anything for. Them. I don't even know what the return was like. But Larry Bird had that competitive edge to him. And it's now it's coined as like the Mamba mentality or you know, the Michael Jordan competitiveness that we saw in the last dance. Like Larry Bird had that. Uh, Larry Bird was just absolutely psychotic when it came to winning and doing whatever it took to win the game. And the highlight reel of Bird is so unique because he's such a big guy and he's quote unquote unathletic, but he's he's got some sneaky athleticism to him. But he had so many just like fancy plays. Like I remember, I can't remember who they were playing against, but I have an image watching him as a kid with him about to go out of bounds underneath the offensive basket. And he takes the ball with two hands and just throws it over his head right to a guy in stride and he lays it up or dunks it. It might have been against the Hawks because I've seen him do that in, I think, a playoff series against the Hawks, but I can't remember if it was that specific one or if he just did it a couple of times. He probably did it multiple times. And then there's the play where he nutmegged Jack Sigma, who made an appearance on Hamont Rushmore earlier. And that is a phenomenal clip. If you haven't seen that, that's on YouTube. You got to check that out. It's, uh, it's fantastic. And for a third guy, it's Trey's guy, Paul Pierce. Uh, he actually played here longer than Bird or Russell did. He was here for 15 years. But Trey, what do you got on Paul Pierce? All right. So Paul Pierce, he's a one-time NBA champion, and should be two. Should be two or three. One-time Finals MVP, ten-time NBA All-Star, and one-time All-NBA Second Team. He's one of the most gifted and crafty scorers. And NBA history, played 15 seasons with the Celtics before being traded to Brooklyn. I easily have him third on my Mount Rushmore. He got the nickname The Truth. Um, he has plenty of moments. He was really two generations of Celtics because he was on that Antoine Pierce team that got to the Eastern Conference Finals, went on their little run. And then he was part of the Big Three era when they did win the championship, and then they got back to the finals a couple of years later. So there's really two distinct groups of Celtics, completely different coaches, completely different players that Pierce played with, was arguably the best player on. Here's an argument for you know, another guy on the Big Three team, uh, I guess. But uh, you know, Pierce was the guy on two different successful teams, uh, 
you know, over his time here with the Celtics, uh, which is, uh, I think, pretty unique. Yeah, he was considered a top five small forward for a while, even when LeBron James and Kevin Durant were in the folds. Right. He was considered top five for for a little while, and then eventually things changed. But yeah, and easily, and, and even before those guys, like Pierce was was one of the Celtics' best players and probably their best player right from when he started in the NBA. He didn't need two or three years to get going. Uh, he jumped in right away, and he was a stud. And you know, as, as the numbers show, and you know, 10, 10 All-Star games, and that a lot of that was playing on some bad teams too because earlier in his career they were bad. Then they had that lull in the middle where they were not very good again. So Pierce is, uh, I think, an, a top-tier Celtic because – the Celtics, you see so many retired numbers up there. And just like anything else, like there are some who are better than others. And Pierce is, I think, right at the top. He's right there with Russell and, and Bird in, in my book. Paul Pierce was the motherfucking truth, man. Like, yeah, he was. I think, I, I, not I think, I know that, you know, I've probably seen Pierce play in person over a hundred times, um, regular season and playoffs combined. And just, it was, sometimes it was unorthodox, you know, sometimes it wasn't, you know, how you think it would go down. But, man, anytime the season needed a bucket, when Pierce was their go-to guy, he gave them a bucket. Yep. Um, getting to the line, hitting a three, hitting that step back in your face. Um, who could ever forget him shit-talking with Al Harrington and drilling the three in his face? I was just going to mention that because that pops up on my Twitter once a week, and I watch it every time. I mean, yep. who – the, the shot against LeBron in game five that gave us a 3-2 lead, that could have been LeBron's last game in Miami if the Seas won that game. That would have been two years the, the Heat didn't win a championship. Because he's just had so many iconic moments with the Seas that even if a, even in a story franchise like the Celtic, he's a, he's a clear locked top three uh, Celtic of all time. Yeah, and then there's like the 2002 comeback against the Nets uh, where ultimately they didn't even get to the finals. They didn't win another game that year after that, but... I mean, that was him and Antoine. Now, there were other guys who obviously helped too, but that was their moment. And that was Pierce's moment, really, until they you know, won the championship in 2008. So that was six years later. So that just kind of lived as his top moment for about a half, a half a decade. And you hate to bring it down into something, something negative, but like we almost lost him. Like, and I don't mean in free agency or in a trade. Uh, very early in his career. So he was almost and never was, came very close. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, like he was, he was stabbed uh, very early in his career and it was dire. And he was in a position where he, you know, he could have not made it out of that situation. And then to go on from that, to recover from that and, you know, not miss a beat and then go on to be one of the greatest Celtics ever on a team that's been around since 1946 and you're one of the top three guys, arguably. That's just incredible. Yeah, pump fake champion. <laughs> He's a go-to pump fake. Oh, yeah. Call game. Yep. And for the fourth player, here's where we disagree a little bit. So I'm going to go first because I got the lone wolf. So, uh, And then I'm going to let you guys just – have your piece here because obviously I picked the guy I did. I think I'm right, but you guys can have your time. I picked John Havlicek. He's a hall of famer. He is synonymous with the Celtics. He played 16 years for the Celtics and it's the only team he played for. He was a 13 time all-star 
He was 11-time All-NBA. He was eight-time All-Defensive. He was an eight-time champion. He was the finals MVP in 74. He is the franchise's all-time leading scorer with 26,395 points. There is no active Celtic who has even half of that. So for most of our lives, John Havlicek is going to be the Celtics' leading, leading scorer. He's the all-time leader in games played. He's second in assists. He's fifth in rebounds. And he's got the moment. Havlicek stole the ball. Everybody yeah, knows about that. Right. No, he stole the ball. Yeah. People whose parents weren't alive then know about Havlicek stealing the ball. And it was in the Eastern Conference Finals, Game 7. And what's a kind of a cool personal moment is on the 50th anniversary celebration of that, uh, it was the last game of the regular season, and they did a celebration at halftime. And Havlicek was there. And it was, I'd say, probably a year or so before he passed. So I was actually at that game and, and got to see the little celebration at halftime where they commemorated, they brought him out and you had the Havlicek stole the ball graphic up on there. And like, that was pretty cool to see 50 years after the fact. So Havlicek is someone for Adam, maybe like our parents' generation who, when you say Boston Celtics, they might say Havlicek first. Yeah. And just the funny backstory to the Havlicek stole the ball was that the play previously the Celtics had the ball and Bill Russell was inbounding it. And when he was throwing it inbounds, there used to be cables holding up the, the, basically the basket. And the basketball hit one of the cables when Russell was inbounding it. <laughs> so that's why Philly had the ball that, um, that let Havlicek steal it. So uh. I'm, sure, I'm sure Havlicek had a 12-pack courtesy of Bill Russell sitting at his locker. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's not on my list. But he's he's five definitely, but he he was definitely an all time great. Don't get me wrong, you know greatest scorer in Celtic history for a franchise that's pushing almost a hundred years now, and um, you can't say too many bad things about his time as a Celtic. But I went the other way, as always, as I seem to have gone from the older guys, and I actually had a tag team partner on this one, so I think KG. As you mentioned with Pierce, like he kind of had, you know, he kind of spanned two different Celtic fans, two different types of Celtic fans in that, you know, after the, the Pierce Antoine years, you know, we Celtics kind of went into a little lull in that they were just the bad team, kind of almost stuck in purgatory to like, you know, about the eighth to tenth pick in the lottery. So we weren't really, they weren't really getting much better. But that culture shift that happened when Kevin Garnett came, was just something that you don't really see that anymore with teams and that's how they're kind of like when Duncan got to the Spurs or when I can't even think of anyone, what anyone, what type of impact any other player made like that for a franchise. Six seasons here, five-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, Defensive Player of the Year. You know, we won't, we don't win the championship without him. And if it wasn't for some unfortunate injuries for him, I'm pretty sure we would have won a couple more. He was just the, the he, he was he lived up to his nickname, the big ticket. You know, he, he brought it every single night in Boston. And you can make almost a point that when people think of KG, you know, obviously you think of his time in Minnesota, but right. when you see highlights of KG on TV, unless they're doing something about the nineties, he's he's in a Celtic uniform. Yeah. And it's gonna be interesting to see who he kind of, you know, leans towards more when he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, like is he going to associate himself more with the Celtics or is he going to associate himself with the Timberwolves? But, well, he's a net. Yeah, I mean, it's, 
with the history he's had with the Timberwolves franchise, if they were like baseball and they kind of, you know, gave them a hat or put them in a jersey when they retired, he might choose to be retired or something. Yeah. So that's – I couldn't leave. Granted, again, Hondo was an all-time great Celtic, but in, in my lifetime, the, the change I've seen that KG bring to the seas was just – it was too much to leave him off my list. Yeah. The culture shift is – I think the biggest thing working for him, we see these other three players that we picked 13 years, 13 years, 15 years, and then Garnett had six. So that's a tough sell for me. I have quite a few other players that I would probably put in over him as well. Uh, To be totally honest, I'm not sure Garnett would make the cut on my second team. I think we'll talk about that in a minute, but the culture shift is what makes me think, okay, maybe he's, he's there or maybe he's close. Um, because you don't see that with, with anybody, really. Anybody changes teams, it's really tough to see them completely change everything overnight. Like from game one, from the opener, you can see that this was totally different. This wasn't just a team adding a star. This was a team adding an identity. Mm-hmm. Most iconic post-game NBA Finals interview, anything's possible. Screamed it for all the world to hear. You won't see a... Celtics montage without that. No, that's there forever. Our like, grand, our grandkids oh. are going to see a Celtics reel at a game, and it's going to have that clip. Yeah. Um, so is is that what did it for you? Is that what made you go with Garnett over some of the other Hall of Famers on the team? Yeah, it's definitely what he did for the culture. I'm I'm biased for the Celtics, um, so I'm going more off of what I saw. Um, he basically took a team that was losing before he got there. Him and Ray came, they helped us win and just shifted the whole culture of the franchise. Brought us a championship. We should have had like three, but that's the story. I love how you guys are both jumping over the second one and going right to three. three. Like we should have three. Like let's get 2010 first. (laughs) They were a better team the year after before he got hurt. Potentially. Yeah. Definitely think they were. Yeah, but I mean, it, it was a tough league at that time too. There were there were a few good teams, so there were teams that could beat them. The Celtics were at their best. Like there were teams that maybe they the Celtics wouldn't be fa- uh, wouldn't be underdogs to, but there were teams that could beat them. I I disagree. Yeah, like <laughs> like if the if the Celtics and Lakers in two thousand nine are both giving their best shots, like the Lakers can win that. Yeah. I'd I'd pick the Celtics every time, but they can win. Like it's not they're not going to go in and sweep them. We would have won. I think so. But it's not a foregone conclusion. Like 2010, they should have won. That game was over. 2009 is a little different because they got, they got knocked out a little earlier, and there's a lot to play out there. So when KG got hurt, Celtics had the best record in the NBA, 44-11, and 11, and they were coming off the 19-game winning streak. Mm-hmm. So I disagree in saying that that team was better that year than the year that we won the championship because it was another year – of Paul Ray and KG playing playing together, under Doc, Rondo's there. Another Rondo got his. Now he's in his third year in the league. They, they were better. They were the best. Team. They were the best team in the league. But yeah. like, it would be very I, hard to convince me that um, any team would have beaten us that year. I th- I think what we're nitpicking over here is more that I'm saying they're not unbeatable. Like that's it. Like yeah, any team. Yeah, like any team can any team can be beat. And they were so far away from the finals when they, when Garnett got hurt. There's still a lot of basketball to be played at that point. So, like, when I'm looking at 
counting a championship or, or one that they should have won. Like I'm looking at 2010 first. Like you got to get two before you get three. So, but the Celtics are a franchise that has a lot of legends, right? They are maybe the second most loaded team, probably second most loaded or the first most lo- most loaded. Cause we talked about how loaded the Lakers uh, team was with their second team being maybe a top five uh, Mount Rushmore. So we didn't prep this. So if it's a little choppy, that's why, but I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Can you come up with a second team here? And Adam, you already gave me one. You said Havlicek is five. So like Havlicek's there for you. I got to put Kuzi on there and I got to put Sam Jones on there. And I think I got to put Mikhail on there. I mean, that's a Hall of Fame four. Yeah. You so it's, it's almost like whatever four we put on there, you can't have an argument for it because it's just like you said, it's the, the franchise is just so rich in talent. Um, right. If you gave me my next four, obviously you, I'm putting Hondo on there. My six would probably, I'd agree with you, I'd probably go Kuzi. And then I got to top it off with the with the last two of the first big three. And I got to put Mikhail and Parrish on there. Parrish, okay. Again, all Hall of Famers. Parrish is a Hall of Famer too. It was just icons in the Celtic franchise, man. I could probably, I could probably give you another four that would rival any other team's top. Yeah, I mean, we can go. We could probably go twelve deep. And... I mean, I still, I still left off Heinsohn. I still left off. I left off Sam Jones. Yeah, um, Cowens is still there. Cowens, yeah. Cow. The name just just slipped my mind as I was rattling them off. Cowens is is a lock for my second team. Yeah. So so, so like my second team, I think I got it nailed down actually. Uh, Cowens, Kuzi. Jones, Mikhail. There's my second. Yeah, I've got Havlicek because I left him out of the first four. Yep. I got Kevin McHale. Uh, and then after that, I've got Kuzi and Parrish. I think that's the same four as Adam. Yeah. 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 It's so crazy to think like we talked about the Kevin Garnett culture shift and here I am, I got him not in the top eight. And it's like, it's not wrong. It's disrespectful. It's, it's, it's not, though. All the guys I picked over him are Hall of Famers who spent their, most of their careers, if not all their careers, with the Celtics, you know, who won multiple championships here. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you for it. It's like, I get it. Like, I get right. why. Yeah, like this, the same reason why I get why you put him on there, but I guess I can't do it with a, a history as rich as this. Right. You still don't even, you still haven't even said Tommy Heinsohn. Right. Yeah. Heinsohn's, <laughs> he's ninth. <laughs> Heinsohn is, I mean, when we're going into a third team, and I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you to rattle off four more, but it's like you, you got Garnett and Heinsohn there for sure. Parrish is there for mine because I didn't say it. So, uh, say him for my second team. And then, you know, there's, a ton of other guys we can pick. You know, let's put Antoine there because Antoine's the man. Uh, and Adam, I'm a little disappointed that you didn't say your Celtics Mount Rushmore is just Antoine four times. Like it kind of hurts a little bit, but you know, we'll, you asked me about 20 years ago, it might have been that. Yeah, yeah, right. So before we wrap it up, anything else on the Celtics on their Mount Rushmore? Tatum's going to be there soon. I mean, soon is relative, like 15 years from now, maybe. He's got a long way to go before he catches like Bird and Pierce. They need to add a fifth face to the Mount Rushmore. (laughs) Right, yeah, so we can all have Havlicek on there. (laughs) 
I mean, if Tatum would ever even like want to get on there, he's gonna need he's gonna need somebody to come off. So he'll just win eleven championships. It's fine. All right. So I think that'll cover it. It's been a long journey, but we've we did it. We did a Mount Rushmore for every team in the NBA. It seemed like a daunting project when we first started it, or when we first came up with the idea to do it. The spreadsheet went up, and I wasn't sure if it was going to get filled out because it's just a lot. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of hard work and we finally did it. So it feels like a win. So thank you everyone for listening. If you've stuck with us throughout all of these, uh, if you haven't dive back into the archives and uh, thank you to you two for putting your effort into this project. It's it, it took all three of us to do it and I'm really happy with the way it came out and it's something that was a lot of fun to do. And we'll have to come up with something similar that we can do, I don't know, in the future, some, some other long-term, you know, evergreen kind of project, because these are great. And uh, it's, it's kind of what we do this for. So we'd love to hear your feedback on this. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. You know, you're going to see some graphics come out for a long time after this, because there's just a ton of stuff that goes out with all the conversations that we had. Uh, so feel free to respond to the polls, uh, talk about the images that we throw out with the different selections on there. Uh, We want to hear the feedback. We want to hear good, bad, whatever you got. You can find us on Twitter at Section 5, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at mfury38, M-F-U-E-R-Y 38. Trey, where can they find you? You can find me at what Trey says, and that's W-H-A-T-R-E-S-A-Y-S. And Adam, what about you? So you can get at me at A-E-Lesco 617 underscore MBA, and... I'd love to hear what potential Knicks fans have to say about my, my four picks. I'm interested in that for sure. And that is going to be a poll. That's going out. By the time you listen to this, that might already be out because I think I'm going to throw that out with launch. So go ahead and vote on that poll. And we're not supposed to tell you what way to vote, but vote for Jeremy Lynn because that would be hilarious. Please just do that. So that'll do it. Before we wrap up, guys, any closing remarks? So don't think that we didn't forget to do the, the best out of all the teams. We don't know. I'm pretty sure we're all in agreement that the Celtics have the best team here. But I don't even have to look at the list and agree with you. Yeah, agreed. Celtics are the best team here by a lot. And that's not even being a homer. They're legit the best. Um, we can be a homer if we want and say that the, four, the third team is the best. And it actually still might be. Um, but yeah. That's uh, so that'll do it. And um, that's all I got. <laughs> NBA is coming back. 